Hello and welcome to the Low Tech Podcast. I'm Scott Johnson from the Low Technology Institute, your host for podcast number 22 on April 28th, 2017, coming to you out of the Low Tech Recording Room in Cooksville, Wisconsin. Thanks for joining us. Our main topic today is our new permanent location just south of Madison, Wisconsin. We won't have our regular news roundup or our DIY feature this week because of our move and the work we've been putting in offline. But we will have a few institute updates and upcoming workshops to mention. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at low underscore techno. Like us on Facebook. Find us on Instagram and check out our website, lowtechinstitute.org. There you can find both of our podcasts. Today's primary topic is our brand new location in Cooksville, Wisconsin, which is about 20 miles south of Madison, Wisconsin. It's a historic village, and we live in a historic house, and the grounds will play host to the Institute and most of our research and our workshops. So I will bring you a guided audio tour of our grounds that I recorded today out walking through our property. So have a listen. Well, it's a cold, rainy, and windy April day after a weekend of 70 degrees and sunny. And I'm standing out on Wisconsin Highway 59 in the historic village of Cooksville. Across the street is the Cooksville Commons, a large park with trees and benches and things. And here come the cars. As I look south on the property, I'm looking at an 1855 Carpenter Gothic house. You might have seen a house like this in the famous painting American Gothic. You know the one, it's where the uh, farmer is standing with his pitchfork and his wife is standing next to him giving him a look. Um, this is a, American Gothic is the style of the house that they're standing in front of and that's not dissimilar to what the Longbourn house looks like. Like I said, it was built in 1855. Uh, it's brick with wooden shingles. It's got uh, white trim and green shutters and a bit of a dilapidated look about it as it hasn't been lived in for a little while, but that's part of why we bought it. We want to fix it up and retrofit it with a lot of uh, low-tech, non-fossil fuel intensive sorts of uh, infrastructure and fittings. There's quite a lot of overgrown grass and shrubbery and trees. And as you can hear, it's a little windy. So I walk down the unpaved driveway. I come to this, the back of the house, where in the 1970s, a uh, addition was put on the back with large south-facing windows uh, and a more updated kitchen. The driveway is lined with a number of ornamental trees, fir trees, things like that. We've moved the iron fence from the front to the back uh, as a place to let our dog spend time outside unsupervised, not that she really needs to be supervised. Eventually this fence will be replaced by a woven willow fence and the driveway will be not paved but covered with bricks in a European style sidewalk fashion. The backyard directly behind the house right now is overgrown with tulips, black locust, wild raspberry, boxwood, and a couple of other ornamental and wild plants. It has a number of old paths that are 
laid out with flat flagstones that have been overgrown. We'll probably pull them up and use them as retaining walls for raised beds farther in the back. It's a really narrow plot. It's only 67 feet wide, but it's almost 500 feet long, making it about three quarters of an acre. The town of Cooksville itself is only 75 people, well, now that we're living here, uh, so it's a pretty small little village. At the back of the rear yard is uh, what is now currently a garage. It has uh, two dormers, two carports, um, and now a chicken coop as I've moved our chickens into this location. This garage started out as a detached kitchen before they did the addition in the 1970s, and then they moved the kitchen and added a little bit on the back to make it appropriate for a garage. It's old enough that the two by fours inside are actually two inches by four inches, not an inch and a half like the nominal lumber of today. Off the back of my garage, I've added or retrofitted a shed into a chicken coop. Eventually, we're going to be building a timber frame chicken coop, but right now, our chickens, that you can probably, I hope, hear in the background there, are living off the back of the garage in a fenced-in area. It's got a wire fence to keep coyotes and other potentially dangerous critters out, and then it has a narrower deer netting to keep our uh, rather curious and flighty chickens in where they're safe. Right, girls? Okay. Oh, they think I have food. Once I was listening to uh, a German news program and they were interviewing a farmer and his chickens made noises in the background of the recording and they heard it and started clucking and uh, making noises at the chickens on the recording, which I thought was pretty interesting. It's not very often that you get to have chicken conversations intercontinentally. All right. Behind the chicken coop and the garage is the remains of what used to be a large raised bed garden. Right now, it is completely overgrown with wild raspberries and black locust. Black locust is a uh, legume-related nitrogen-fixing tree. It's not a bad one. They actually grow it in Europe for wood. Uh, it has some really beneficial properties like it doesn't degrade when it's used as fence posts and black locust wood can be used for wooden fence posts that last up to 100 years. So this is really kind of a boon for us because we're going to be putting in a rather extensive living fence with uh, fruit trees and berry bushes and the like and we need fence posts. And really a lot of people use treated lumber for fence posts because they don't want it to degrade and you know it makes a certain sense you don't want to put in all that time and effort to putting in a fence and then you know 10 years later the woods rotten luckily we have a surplus of black locust that we can cut down and turn into fence posts that are going to last quite a long time without needing any funny chemicals the raised beds have completely deteriorated they were made with 4x4s with rebar driven through them to hold them together, which is not a bad way to make them. Throughout the raised bed area, there's a number of ornamentals that I don't necessarily, I know we have magnolias and boxwood and a couple others, but I'm not much of an expert at naming ornamental trees, but it's clear from their size and shape 
that they are that they're ornamental. So we'll leave those and we'll work around them. We don't need to clear cut everything to make a garden as some plants like shade and some don't. We'll just have to plant carefully. The ground is covered by a variety of uh, low sedges and dandelions, grass, and other weedies, uh, as well as I can see a lot of ornamentals that have gone kind of wild. So we're going to try and round up these ornamentals and probably just pack the front yard with tulips and other ornamentals that we don't necessarily want in our garden, but on the other hand we don't want to just get rid of. I'm going to remove a lot of the wild raspberries because they grow so thick and uh, recover so quickly. Black locust and raspberries are colonizers. They go into recently disturbed plots like yards or abandoned fields and they take over. Um, you can kind of tell where abandoned fields are in the woods because they'll often be really thick with brambles and things like that. The black locust actually reproduces either by seeds, like a, they look like a big pea pod, or uh, suckers that come up from the roots and so it's kind of hard to cut down all the black locust because if you just snip it at the ground level you're gonna have more black locust growing back the next year so you have to really pull it out by the root. A little beyond the uh, old raised bed garden is the beginning of my garden that I've started. Right now I have six uh, or rather five varieties of potatoes in the ground. Fingerling, early superiors, and I've got some late superiors, Oneida gold, and a couple more that slipped my mind at the moment, but I wanted to get those in right away. I trenched after clearing the brambles, uh, the wild raspberries and the black locusts. Um, I trenched six inches deep, um, spread in manure, mixed that with some soil in the bottom, planted my potatoes, um, and then spread more manure and uh, a covering of soil. They've been rained on really nice. I've checked on one or two of the tubers and they've started to root. I'm gonna have a video about how I started and planted my potatoes up on the website, I hope, in the next week or so. So stay tuned for that. I've also planted a couple rows of peas and pea brush. And basically the idea is instead of putting up trellises or planting peas along a fence, I've cut um, three foot or finger diameter bits of brush and I planted them along with my peas so that when the peas grow out they will climb up the branches and so it looks like a little uh, forest of small trees here in my pea patch. I have turned over a couple other places with the broad fork that I built out of wood. Works okay. I'm going to have a whole discussion of that on the blog and possibly on a future um, podcast. Uh, I hope to have a couple more plants here on the ground pretty quickly, although as we're up in Wisconsin in zone 5A, I am a little behind schedule, but not a disaster yet. I'm not that far behind. It's kind of uh, been an up and down spring. So about halfway through the yard, uh, I come upon a garden shed that's still in pretty good shape. Uh, and so this is where I store most of my gardening implements. We also have a uh, hose spigot out here, so that makes uh, watering the garden this year a little easier. Currently, uh, we're using our well water to uh, irrigate, although that isn't ideal or our long-term solution. Eventually, we want to make an extensive rain barrel collection system. Uh, one thing we do have to be careful of, though, is we have wooden shingles, and uh, we'll be replacing them with oak shingles, hopefully this summer. And oak has a lot of tannic acid, and so it may be that the water running off of our roof 
may be a growth inhibitor to other plants. So we're going to have to look into that and do a little more research before we use water off of our roof. The shed that marks the halfway point of the yard also marks the end of our food garden. This ends here because it's where our septic field, our drainage field, begins. Uh, many homes in rural areas uh, use a septic system rather than a municipal sewer system. And basically it consists of a number of settling tanks behind the house and your wastewater and effluent flow into the first tank. The heavy solids settle out, flows into another tank, the lighter solids settle out, and then uh, the liquid is pumped into a drainage field which is basically long PVC tubes with holes in them in a bed of gravel. And it has a number of different bacteria in it that break down whatever organic materials and make them more reasonable and digestible by other things in the environment. And so it's kind of a closed loop system, which is kind of nice. We're not contributing to major runoff or other things, although we have to be a little more careful with what we put down the drain. Eventually, we'd like to consider putting in a gray water system, but as it's the first year, we only have so many hours in the day to get done what we need. And first things first, uh, the first things include uh, putting in a garden and making sure the house is watertight. So we're still going to use the land beyond uh, the shed, even though we can't grow on it. You don't want to grow food crops on a septic system because this, the drainage field isn't actually that deep. And if we were to get a severe storm uh, or plant root crops there, they could potentially absorb um, pathogenic things that we don't want to be eating that. So what we're going to do is keep a rather wild looking um, area uh, for the local flora and fauna to enjoy but also our bee yard will be back here and right now I'm standing next to my two hives. It's a cold windy rainy day so they're staying inside which is good because yesterday I went in the hives and I'm currently splitting them so one is without a queen and uh, that hive was in a pretty bad mood. Uh, so if I were standing here and it was nice weather, I'd probably be uh, bombarded by the temperamental hive as it's in the process of raising a new queen. I'll have to talk about that on a later podcast. As I continued to walk down the backyard, um, I see on my left, on the east side, uh, a row of old trees that are probably 75 to 100 years old. These trees represent the, f the fence line. Uh, back in the, in the past, uh, one way to mark properties was to plant a row of trees. We've used this uh, as a marker to delineate our property since it's hard to get a survey done in this area. And so we've had to work collaboratively with our neighbors to make sure we're getting uh, we're putting in fences on our own property and bothering them. There's a variety of trees in bloom including magnolias and a couple others and it smells pretty fantastic back here which is really great I imagine for the bees and other insects uh, but I'm also enjoying it quite a lot. Once I get to the end of the septic system which is about 25 yards there is a little space uh, at the southern extreme of our plot where it backs up against uh, Church Road uh, and we have another entrance. And this is an area with towering larch trees, which are a little unusual in this area. They're actually brought in from the Wisconsin Dells by an arborist in the 1970s. We've also got some cedars and a couple other trees back here. Uh, it's kind of a, a nice uh, place 
to sit and I'm thinking about building a small amphitheater that has uh, raised beds integral to it so uh, people would be able to come and hear lectures, perhaps watch movies and other things a little bit away from the road as well as back with these nice trees as a backdrop. I think it would be a really nice gathering area for, for events and things like that in the Institute's future. Much of the yard will be surrounded by a fence, as I've mentioned before. The lower half of the fence is to keep critters out of our garden, and everything from rabbits to deer, not the neighborhood kids or whoever. They're welcome to come in the gate and snag some food. But there will be a living fence. It, although it's going to be a metal critter fence on the bottom, that's going to be quickly covered by berry bushes and things like that. Above the metal fence will be a uh, series of horizontal wires, and those wires will hold espaliered apple, plum, pear, and other tree branches that will spread across and keep the, keep the deer from jumping over the otherwise too short fence. Uh, these will also provide food and fruit for us uh, in the coming years. And it won't just look like a big old fence that we're putting up to keep you know, things out of our yard. It'll actually be a living part of the property, which will be which will be great and we're really looking forward to that. Eventually, we plan to build a small barn to house the Institute, but for now we'll be operating out of the garage and out of the house as necessary. Um, we're hoping to have a lot of visitors and we already have, we're hoping to have a lot of visitors and to run a lot of projects on the grounds while we install them and make use of them um, for ourselves to some extent, part of the process is teaching and learning about our environment uh, with other people collaboratively through the auspices of the Institute. I hope to have a video of our property with a bit of a walkthrough, kind of a uh, early look, not quite a before look since I've already done some work, but a little bit of an early look at what we're doing and that will be able to be compared to what it looks like by the end of the year uh, and even the following years. So that'll be an exciting uh, comparative document. So stay tuned for that. I've also got a number of videos that are nearing completion and I should be posting those on the website soon. So please stay tuned for those. So I didn't spend much time talking about the house itself because the house is actually where we live, but we will be using the kitchen for workshops on things like bread making, canning, and other DIY sorts of projects. We'll also be using the garage as our main wood shop, teaching space, as well as utilizing the great outdoors that we have at our disposal. So come on by. I'm here most of the time. Uh, we have business hours and you can stop by and chat with me in person. So look forward to hearing from you. And now for a brief recap of the research and things we have going on around the Institute. We've added an online store to our website. You can find it by clicking through the store link on any page of our website in the main menu. There you can pay for workshops, make donations, and see what products we currently have available. Right now we're taking orders for lands and long Langstroth hives we plan to build in the next month. Over time we'll be selling things like honey. We'll also have eggs for sale locally. But stay tuned for more news about the products we'll have available. All the sales and the proceeds from sales will go to funding our research and subsidizing our workshops to keep those prices as low as possible. 
Again, we're operating as a nonprofit and we'll be applying for 501c3 status. So you're not giving money to me, you're giving money to the Institute when you make purchases. So we really appreciate that support. Our primary way of making income is from you and from grants. So any money you spend is a great help to us. We'll be hosting basic carpentry workshops on the 13th and 14th of May. We'll go over how to use basic hand and power tools, as well as getting some experience with joining wood together. We'll be making some raised beds in our garden as the project combines many of the concepts we'll be discussing throughout the workshop. We still have a few slots open for the 14th of May, and we may be offering this workshop again in the not-too-distant future. That's all we have this week for the Low Tech Podcast, which is put out by the Low Technology Institute. At the moment, the show is hosted, edited, and distributed by me, Scott Johnson. This episode was recorded at the Low Technology Recording Room. Our intro music was The Banshee, off the album Cup of Tea by Slantia. That song and this podcast are under the Creative Commons Attribution and Sharealike License, meaning you're free to use and share it as long as you give us credit. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or TuneIn Radio. And if you enjoy this free podcast, please help repay us by sharing it with a friend. You can find out more information about the Low Technology Institute at lowtechinstitute.org. You can follow us on Twitter at low underscore techno and reach out to me directly at lowtechinstitute at gmail.com. I'd be happy to have your feedback. Thanks and take care.